And we're welcome you here to episode 60 of the Cherokee Rewind. Thanks for hanging out with us. I am Mick. And, well, got ourselves a nice young man here who played uh, not too long ago, but long enough. So uh, to, enough so that I can't remember the, his jersey number, but I'm going to take a guess at it here in just a minute anyway. And uh, it goes by the l name of Lane Martin. And Lane, uh, I'm trying to remember, and I'm not going to I'm just going to guess. Uh, 21? Close, close. 26, I think it was. Wow. Okay. Well, hey, at least it uh -huh. wasn't too far off. Not bad well, for an old guy. But uh, okay. So now, were you were were you from were you a Michigan kid growing up? I uh, grew up in Finley, Ohio, and Woodhaven, uh, Michigan. So it was a little back and forth. Uh, born in Finley, moved to Woodhaven there for seven, eight years. Back down to Findlay, uh, played a lot of time in Toledo, Pennsylvania there uh, growing up, um, and then went back to Michigan right after. Uh, so back and forth kind of between the two states. Okay. Now, what uh, what seasons did you play in Toledo? Uh, so for the Cherokee, I did a pre-post season with, so I think I was with the junior team in 2010-2011. It would have been. It would have been my senior year of high school hockey that I opted out of. Mm -hmm. um, played for the Cherokee and did the pre-post program there um, back in the day with Dennis Rodebush and the Toledo Cherokee kind of travel team with all those high school kids from Northview, Southview, uh, St. John, St. Francis, all those kind of things. So okay. um, we had that group together and I kind of hung with the Cherokee for the main season and then went right back over to the Rodebush, the double-A team. Yep, I know Dennis real well. Good guy. His son is playing minor league hockey right now and tearing Austin it up. Watch. Yes. Austin I, uh, is a nuts. I reached out to Austin just a couple days ago. I think I saw maybe it was his first week that he was uh, player of the week or warrior of the week. First two uh, of the first out. two weeks he was the player of the week in the Southern Pro League. Perfect. Yeah, no. So one of those two weeks I saw that. I reached out to him again. I I think I touched base with him a couple of times over the last few years. I think after he won a national championship, is that correct as well, with Adrian? Uh, yeah, they did win one, yes. So it was then I reached out to him and told him congrats, obviously. That was awesome to see. And then now, I mean, he's still doing awesome for himself. And uh, not surprising with the work ethic that he had and most of us had back then under Dennis Rodebush. Uh, if you didn't have a work ethic, you probably weren't playing there or you weren't enjoying your time. So, oh. um it's not surprising to see, and it's awesome to see it paying off for him. It's fun stuff to watch. Yes, I'm so proud of him. But I got to tell you, I remember him in a Cherokee uniform, and I remember he probably led the uh, – it was probably the 3HL by then. Uh, it used to be the Central States League, but then they uh, became the 3HL. And he probably led the 3HL in assists by a goalie uh, uh, for goals by the other team. Um <laughs> He, it was always an adventure when he'd wander out of his net because he loved to go out of his net and play the puck. Yep. And he would play it. He'd try to shoot it up along the boards, and in, inevitably it would hit either a stanchion or something that it would ricochet and it wouldn't go where he wanted. It it just dropped dead right in the in his own zone, and an and a opponent would pick up the puck and have an empty netter. I mean, it, he did that like several times. And I, I, I can remember being up in the broadcast booth trying not to cuss on the air. Uh, it was, it was, I'm like, man, arr! 
But uh, I loved Austin, though. He was a great kid. And, uh, like you know, like we said, you know, he's tearing it up now and, and more power to him. And, you know, yeah, you're right. You know, you talk about Dennis Rodebush. I've known Dennis for a really long time. And just a great coach, great guy. Uh, I've, uh, full uh, disclosure, I knew, I've known his family uh, because his sister and my sister grew up, you know, basically in each other's houses. They were best friends growing up. And so they would always be at each other's houses. So, you know, on the weekends. So if I didn't yeah. see, if I didn't see Susan at our, our house, it, they would be over, her and my sister would be over at their house. So, you know, yeah, our family, yeah. our families knew each other really well. But right. uh, anyway, so let's get into talking a little bit here, though, about this guy that uh, we call Lane. Uh, where, first off, uh, where, how old were you when you first put on a pair of skates? Uh, I couldn't tell you. It was before my memory. I do know that the first pair of skates were bought before I was born. Um, my mom and dad got together, um, and my dad came home one day with a little pair of ice skates. My mom didn't have a clue of what they were and said, what is this? And, uh, he said, oh, you know, these are the hockey skates. Gotta try them on. My dad, uh, played high school hockey, um, for Finley High School back in the day. Um, I know growing up, it was always inspiration to, you know, be a high school hockey player like him way back then. And that was kind of, you know, follow his footsteps. So that's kind of how I got the start. They were kind of pre-purchased and an idea already planted in my dad's head. Like, Hey, this guy's going to do what I did. Um, so I don't really remember it. I do know though, that I had a couple of coaches growing up when I was three, four, five, um, gentleman by the name of Kelly Nestor who I was on the ice with quite a few times a week um, up there in Michigan. And then a little story, I remember the very first time my mom ever went to a hockey parents meeting. Um, actually played for a gentleman by the name of Dan Hastings. Um, and I ended up actually following back in. There was a Mr. Marconi. And actually Mike Marconi and I, I believe, played together uh, actually at, in the Cherokees way, way down the road. Yep. Maybe 15 years later, that was on the same team. Because this was back in maybe 97, 98. Um, Mike's from Philadelphia, right? uh, Oh, you're right. Mike is from Philadelphia. Um, There's trying to think. There was another individual. So Mike and I did play together. Mario McCarty. Sorry. That was the other gentleman that played with us. So Mario McCarty and McCarty's father was uh, there in Woodhaven for the Maple Leafs. Regardless, it was a mini-mite season. I think I was four going on five years old. And my mom came home, I remember she tells me the story, comes home from the first hockey meeting, and we had a 64-game schedule oh at five years old. Ice time was 6 a.m. We weren't there on time. You weren't practicing that day. My mom went home to ask my dad, like, is this, is this really what hockey is? What is this? What am I supposed to – 64 games, like, how do you what, – what is he going to do at any other time? Is he going to grow up? Um, but I kind of was thrown right into the fire there, and obviously uh, I loved every second of it, so – Big inspirations, I guess, in the beginning. Those are the names that stick out that I remember, the, the moments that I remember from that real, real early childhood. So did you uh, did you take to the game pretty well, or did you get burned out? Or um, No, I did pretty well, actually. A lot of, um, all the way up through, I always had a big uh, desire to do better and be better. Um, truly, I was always one that uh, was more hard work than talent. I know for a fact I was not the most talented individual on the ice by any means, but uh, I wasn't going to be outworked very often, uh, especially growing up. So I used to put in that extra effort, that extra time. Um, coming out of Findlay, it was, we moved from Michigan, like I said, about the age of seven, back down to Findlay, Ohio. And 
hockey down there wasn't quite the same caliber as what you get in, you know, downriver Detroit area. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got down there. It was just different. I used to ask my mom, hey, when can I play more? What, what can I do more? Like, it just wasn't the same atmosphere, and I wanted uh, a little bit more competition. So it was when I was 13, I was allowed to go and try out for a different team. That's when she would travel again. That's when that was like the, for whatever reason, the we'll, we'll try something more once we get to that time. Wow, that um, had to be rough. Went up to Sylvania for a tryout, and this was, uh, goodness, Ben Torchia. I played with him later on, oh, yeah. and Mike Murphy, mm-hmm. um, Tyler Murphy, and Mike Murphy and Mr. Torchia. I can't think of his name right off the top of my head. I know you probably know it better than I do it now, um, but they were the head coaches there in Sylvania, and uh, I went up, and I remember we did suicides at the end of the tryout. And I'm pretty sure that I got beat by the goalie the first time. Wow. I was that slow, that far behind, was not in shape whatsoever. And I remember on the ride home, my mom was asking me, like, uh, so what do you think? And she was thinking, there's no way that this is going to be enjoyable. He just, you know, what, what just happened? He was exhausted. He couldn't. Well, obviously, I got a lot of work to do. I got a lot of catching up to do. And there it was. So I was like, well, let's give this a try. And. By the end of that first season, I was kind of right up and on pace with everybody, and uh, I kind of think that's how a lot of my career went. I was never, never the most talented, but I was going to work until I was earned my spot and earned an opportunity to, you know, do something. So. Well, uh, now you, um, so you you're trying to work your way up through the system like that. Uh, when you were in Sylvania, how long were you in Sylvania? Decide to, uh, did, did when you wanted to try high school? Um, it was like I said, it was kind of an, always a goal. It was kind of a desire to try and do what my dad did. He uh, was the last time a Finley High School team had won a state championship, was actually back in '83 at that point. Um, so it was kind of a desire to try and do that. You know what I mean? You follow in your dad's footsteps. That was kind of an inspiration. So I, that freshman year, I kind of went in, played some high school hockey. Um, had good opportunities, good success as a freshman, um, kind of followed it up, and then things started turning, and I realized that uh, watching other players elevate their games in other ways, um, I was going to have to do something else rather than stick to the high school hockey if I wanted to play at that next level. Um, So like I said, after my third year there, I kind of decided to take a change and go up with the Cherokee um, on that senior year and opt out of my senior year of high school hockey. Okay. So you did pre-post there with Dennis and 
what was that like when, uh, I mean, what was it like for you as far as making the adjustments to that caliber of hockey? Difficult. I mean, I was still only 17 at that time. Um, and a lot of those junior hockey players, you know, 20, 20, 20, 21, um, you know, their age out years, a lot more physical. Um, the pace was a little bit faster. I don't think it was so fast that I wasn't able to keep up. Um, but it was definitely a, a higher pace and just a different way of thinking about the game um, from a high school hockey standpoint. It, it, uh, I guess I don't remember it all in great detail. I think I only dressed a total of four games um, as a Cherokee player there uh, with the junior team. A uh, couple on defense and a couple shifts on offense here and there, but it was uh, more of a learning experience trying to figure out how these guys play, how to be able to keep up with the physicality because I was not the biggest or strongest guy um, and you had a lot of guys that were in the gym a lot more frequently than I was um, a lot of them that were out of high school already and I was still in high school at Finley um, so I was actually commuting to Toledo every day after high school uh, to come to practice work out and then go back home uh, I was still working full-time at that time so uh, it was tough to commit as much as some of the other guys were able to being that they were at least out of school Oh, yeah. So, wow, that sounds like a big challenge. Um, so uh, when did you when did you end up? Uh, I mean, who was your coach when you were on the junior team? Uh, it was Searing, Scott Searing and Chris Tarsha were there um, when I was there. Those were the two names that I remember, obviously, most vividly. Um, and so those were the individuals that I was in contact with getting, you know, and I know they helped me out the next year kind of trying to elevate where I could go from Toledo um, if I didn't want to try it there again. Um, so those are the names that, you know, I remember very well. Well, so when you first walked into a Cherokee locker room uh, in the junior club, what was that experience like? Do you remember anything about that? Like seeing other guys in there, uh, did you feel any, you know, nervousness or anxiety? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's different uh, when you're the young guy, when you're a high schooler, you don't know exactly where you fit in at first. Um, it's definitely a little different, a little anxiety. The guys are normally pretty welcoming. Um, Toledo had a pretty good atmosphere there, um, so I, I really didn't have too much there. The rink I was familiar with, so that at least felt like home, but I'd actually never been in that locker room. And I remember walking in and being like, oh, wow, there's some space in here. You got a locker. It's kind of like... This is a little bit newer atmosphere. You feel a little more a part of a club um, walking into that kind of situation than, you know, you grow up, you play maybe the high school hockey, you had your own locker rooms, but it, it wasn't quite the same feel as juniors. You, that next step, a little more treatment, you know, little larger changing rooms, things like that. So that was a neat thing. Um, I just remember those, you know, you, just different aspects uh, from that transition of, you know, high school hockey into junior hockey. Okay. Now, how about for you? I mean, did you have to change your game at all? Um, yeah, it was tough. Like I said, I mean, I didn't get to play a bunch, and I did switch back to defense um, to get a couple more opportunities on the ice. Um, the physicality was something that I was never very familiar with, and junior hockey is a much, much more physical game. So there was definitely something of finding the way to be physical, and um, obviously more so in my game it wasn't necessarily you know make a big hit but at least separate man from puck um especially moving on to the defense there is you can't get beat with the man and the puck getting it up on the other side of you 
Um, so that was the biggest, I think, learning curve I had to make. I was a, a winger or a center prior to that. So um, it was definitely a big transition to learn how to be the appropriate level of physicalness. Um, in a, yeah, that would be the big change for me. Now, when you saw, you said you saw Mike McCarry uh, later on down the road in, in a Cherokee camp, in a, in a Cherokee team. Um, did that? Did you kind of gravitate towards him when you first got there, or did you try to establish friendships with uh, other guys on the team? Um, I, you know, it, it's tough to say. I definitely established friendships in a different way. Um, Mike and I talked a decent amount. It was always fun. We had a good time. Ethan Martin was on the team oh, yeah. um, back at that time, so he and I actually played against each other growing up a little bit. Didn't really realize it um, until then, and then so we kind of uh, we were the same age. He was actually still in high school. He was from Pittsburgh as well. Came up there, um, so he was in high school. So we had those bonds. Um, by the time we got to the gym, I remember talking to um, Waisaki, who was our goaltender at that time, mm-hmm. and Derek Blanchard was a defenseman. I think he was kind of my deep partner uh, as I made that transition. So he was from Buffalo, and I think we all kind of I met different groups of people, hung out with different groups of guys. Um, it just kind of depended on the situation. Um, I learned a lot from each of them in different ways, and I think that's probably how I gravitated to them. Um, you know, Ethan was kind of my age. We could relate on similar life aspects at that point because we didn't have a big junior experience to that point. Um, Waisaki was great in the gym. I mean, I remember following him around like a puppy dog as we go over to the gym and I'd be like, what should I do? Because he was a big workout fitness kind of guy um, as a goaltender and it was helping with the flexibility and the strength. And like I said, Derek Blanchard there as a defenseman. Um he was a decent D partner to learn from because I was not a defenseman. So that was kind of, you know, what I, how I gravitated, I think, to different individuals. Okay, fair enough. So uh, I take it, were you a pretty good uh, gym rat? No, I really, unfortunately, I mean, to be completely honest, I wasn't. I, I had a workout attitude um, instilled in me but I was never a guy to hit the weights. Um, I remember, you know, Dennis Rodebush, <laughs> we didn't have a weight room necessarily at the, at the rink, but he'd put us through the ringer. Our off-ice sessions were more intense than I can remember, um, or care to remember, I should say. Okay. And I remember, actually, I used to go home, and in the off-seasons, I was just the guy that I wouldn't do any big machines or anything like that, even free weights. I, it was all body weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to do a hundred push or a thousand push-ups and a thousand sit-ups in a day, um, every day for like an entire summer. Oh my god! And that was that was something that I jokingly I'm like, oh, I could definitely get back to that, and I, I probably couldn't do a hundred today. Um, so I wasn't really the the gym guy, but I same thing with pull-ups. It was always free body weights. It was dot drills. Um, I ran a couple of half marathons growing up, so it was those kind of exercises that I enjoyed more than being in the gym honest wow that's i oof, i can't even imagine it Ooh. helps when you lose you know or you're 100 pounds lighter than what i am now it makes a big difference a lot less weight to move around wow okay well that's, that's okay i think my left leg weighs more than your entire body does but anyway uh but so now uh what was the team like do you, you talked about your d partner who were uh when you played up front do you remember some of the guys you played with Uh, Chad Kitchener was, I think, our leading offensive player. Oh, 
Oh, Tick, um, yeah, Chad Tickner, yep. I remember yeah, him very I well. mean, he was our, our leading offenseman at that point. Um, so I'm trying to think of who else was there on offense. Justin LeConte. Oh, Justin LeConte. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So those are some of the names. Joey Breslin and I played against each other. I believe he's a Centerville, Ohio guy, right? Yeah, yeah. I had him on a podcast earlier. Uh, right. So, yeah, Joey Breslin and I played against each other growing up as well kind of thing. And so I know he was another one in the locker room. We had stories and conversations here and there. But um, uh, so those are some of the guys that I remember, you know, on offense. Um, I know Ethan was a, a forward or a winger at the time. But. Now, um did you have to go through any of the rookie initiation stuff or, you know, any of that kind of crap? To be honest, not that I can think of while I was there uh, in Toledo. When I was in the Sioux down the road, I did, you know, there was some different different uh, initiations, as you would call them. They were all fun, uh, no harm. You just had to go with it. It was uh, very appropriate in, in grand scheme of things. Uh-huh. Um so when I was up there, I did. But when I was down in, or when I was uh, in Toledo, no, they treated us just fine as newer guys. So. Okay. Now, uh, what do you think of when you think of uh, what was it like playing for Scott Searing and Chris Tarsha? Um, it was good. They both gave me good opportunities and good insight into my own abilities at that time, um, and they both were willing to work with me. Uh, they were always very open uh, to what I needed to do to get a better opportunity. Um, I knew playing there wasn't going to be an every game kind of thing for me. Um, as a high school individual moving up there, they also knew that it was more of I was trying to use it as a learning curve and a stepping stone um, to make that next transition wherever that might be down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, they were very helpful in that aspect. Again, playing under them was kind of tough. I never really got a lot of opportunities. Um but they were always helpful on the back end of saying, this is what you're lacking. This is where you need to focus your attention. This is why you need to do this. So that was always helpful to kind of that next step of learning um, how to focus my attentions. Now, did you ever get to a point during this time from when you were a little guy through the Cherokee where you started to, I don't know, not get burned out, but lose interest or, uh, start falling because of all the work you have to put in and it almost becomes a job. Uh, do you ever like, did you ever lose uh, any taste for the game at all? Uh, at that time? No, to be honest, through, through 18 years old, I was still very gung ho, very, I'm going to play division one. I'm still, I had very, very high goals and aspirations down the road. Um, I don't, not that I can remember. Like I said, I would go home and when I was home in Finley, Ohio, I'd, do a thousand push-ups or sit-ups. Um, my parents invested in a power skating triangle. I don't know if you're familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Torchia and I used to basically have to both do those. Uh, another teammate from Sylvania back in the day. We'd end up with a bad game, bad practice. I'd go home and get on that for 15, 20, 30 minutes and just work the legs that much more, the muscle memory, the skating. Um, but I was always very I, I was self-driven, self-motivated, and I wanted to do those things. Um, up through those times and even, you know, for a few years after that, I would say that I didn't really start getting that feeling of okay and burnout until I was probably in college. Um, and that was kind of when it started hitting me that eh, there might be a life after this and that's okay. Okay. So when you finished uh, playing in Toledo, uh, where did you go to college and, uh, what was it like playing there? 
years of, uh, of changes going on. I actually went to Belt Hire the year after I was in Toledo um, oh, okay. and played AAA one more year. I think that was my age-out year um, under Chris Corey for the AAA team, mm-hmm. the U18s. Uh, and Chris Corey got me an opportunity to go and play up in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan with the Sioux Eagles um, when they were with the NAHL. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was up there for a brief time, um, went actually out to Wisconsin and played Tier 3 in the Minnesota Junior Hockey League, the MNJ, mm-hmm. and coach connections type thing led me to college. So I actually ended up at college at Morrisville State College in central New York, um, just outside of Syracuse, New York. Um, they're part of the SUNYAC, so the State University of New York uh, Athletic Association or mm-hmm. Athletic Conference. Um, so Division Three college hockey there against some of the greatest competition uh, you know, out this way uh, between Plattsburgh, Geneseo, Oswego, Buff State, um, all of those schools. Um, so that's kind of that transition of where I led. So I still had quite a few years of juniors in different ways, and then uh, yeah, college in New York here. So what uh, where what team did you play with in Minnesota in the MNJ? Uh, it was the Dells Ducks oh, under okay. a gentleman by the name of Bill Zanaboni. Um, Bill was a guy from Boston. He actually ended up playing in the Sioux for a lot of time uh, through his junior. He ended up in the SP quite a ways, and now he is coaching out east back home with the uh, Junior Seahawks Club. Okay. So, yeah. All right, so now... Dells Ducks. All right, the Dells Ducks. So, what? I mean, did you feel... How hard was it to be that far away from home? Um, Just depended. I think... You know, at times it was tough. You miss your family. I had a very supportive family that was always, uh, probably once a month, they made a pretty good trip. Uh, when I was in the Sioux, they did the same. So they would make a trip about once a month and come and see you. Um, same thing in the Dells. Kind of came out once a month um, as best as they were able to to watch a weekend of games. Um, so that made it a little easier. The other thing that was nice about juniors, uh, these were my first experiences living away from home and you develop that new family atmosphere with your teammates. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't have your mom, dad, brother, sister there, but you had a billet family or um, sometimes you lived in just a hockey house with four or five other teammates. Um, and so you kind of develop a new camaraderie, a new brotherhood there. And that's uh, a unique experience that I definitely wouldn't have passed up for anything. That was, it made it definitely easier to be away from the family but you never felt like you were away when you had those guys. So yeah, well, that's a good thing. So uh, now you go to New York. Now, did uh, again another adjustment? Uh, not only playing hockey, but in terms of school. What was that transition like for you? Definitely, that was kind of the harder transition. Um, when I played junior hockey, it still worked no matter where I was. I paid my own way through all of those kinds of things. So. Uh, I still had a job full-time. I actually, through juniors, I had a job. I was a night shift manager at Taco Bell in Wisconsin. So I would finish practice, go to work out, and then I'd go to work until 5 a.m. I'd go home, I'd go to sleep, I'd wake up at 2 in the afternoon, get around, practice. So I had kind of a different schedule. Um, that might have helped me a little bit, but it was still easier than it was going into college where now you have classes, you have your mandatory, you know, you got to get into the gym a little bit more. Then you got to find a way to study to take your tests. Um, 
living situations are obviously always different depending on how you do it at college. Some people live in hockey houses or sports houses um, or dorms with a, a teammate. Um, sometimes you don't get that opportunity and you just live in the dorms with random individuals who maybe their priorities are very different than yours. Um, so it always just kind of depends. You, you uh, find you have to be very adaptable when you get to college and it's a little different because not everybody has the same agendas as yourself. Um, so that was kind of the harder transition, I would say. Well, did you have to experience that with people that you did, that weren't hockey centric in their reason for being there? Um, yeah, a little bit. I think that freshman year is always tough. Um, I found that I wasn't, uh, big into all of the college life as much. So I actually found my way out of those situations pretty quickly and easily. Um, I actually determined it would be a lot, co- a lot more cost effective to become what they call a resident assistant or an RA. Um, and by doing that, you actually get your own room in the dorm. So that's kind of the route I took is I found my way, you know, talked to people, found my way into becoming a resident assistant, found my own dorm room. You know, some of the teammates always made fun of me. It's like, why don't you just come live off campus with us? Um, but my actual schooling was always very difficult. So I actually, uh, went into nursing school, uh, in college. Mm -hmm. So a very demanding profession and very, uh, time consuming and, uh, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but um, something that you can't just kind of... very challenging. And, <clears throat> I would say very, yeah. yeah, very challenging, and it is not something you can catch up on later. You have to do it in real time with when it comes to nursing school. Yeah, so it was definitely something that uh, finding my own space, having my own room, not having, you know, the boys who just want to go you know, to the gym all the time or go play intramural sports maybe or whatever it might be. They're like, hey, let's go play video games. Let's go to the golf course and hang out. It's like, oh, guys, you know, unfortunately, I got to study. I got to I gotta do something else. I got a test coming up or I have to go to a lab practice and practice how to do this skill. You know, you know I was going to say, my career down the road. you know, uh, clinicals. I mean, they don't they don't realize all that stuff that you've got to do in addition to cracking the books. Correct. So it was definitely, that was kind of when the transition started, and uh, I will say that's kind of when the transition started, that there was more to life for me than than hockey alone. Um, It kind of started finding that niche of, you know, this is going to be the career down the road. Um, Choosing nursing probably led me to that a little quicker, unfortunately, um, because of the demand of the program. Like you said, clinicals, um, you'd miss entire days of practice because you had to be on the clinical site one or two days a week. Mm -hmm. So that inhibited your ability to even get to the practice at the same time. Um, but it's a very rewarding job in that aspect. Um, so that, you know, I, I couldn't really fault it. I enjoyed making that transition into what I'd be doing in the real world later on. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, <clears throat> I mean, uh, so what kind of teams did you have when you were there? In Morrisville here at college? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sorry. Um, they were always the uh, underdog, work hard, you know, try and find our ways to win. Um, it was very, very difficult. Like I said, you play some of the best Division three college hockey teams in the country every weekend. Um, Plattsburgh, Oswego, Geneseo are always going to the national tournament, one of them, or two of them, depending on. Um, so it was always, every weekend was extremely difficult. It felt like an uphill battle. You were playing a ranked opponent, you know, four out of the eight weekends of your season. 
um, and in big atmospheres considering, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen some of those atmospheres for college hockey, oh, yeah. uh, for division three, even they did pretty well. Or we'd have scrimmage games against Utica and play at the odd, um, for the Utica Comets play. And they'd have 3,500 stands in the stands. And even when you played juniors, it never really got to that for us, um, yeah. or at least from my experience. Um, so those were always fun experiences, but you were always the underdog. Um, every win felt that much better, but there weren't as many wins as what you'd like, um, especially coming from a couple of programs that were very prolific in their winning percentages. Um, specifically like the Dells Ducks, we had phenomenal seasons bleeding out um, before I got to college, so it was a, a very tough transition to kind of be on the flip side of the coin. Well, let me ask you, so you're playing, <clears throat> you're playing there in New York. Um, did you, uh, did you prepare yourself for when you were going to have to hang them up competitively? Um, I think I started to probably my sophomore year of college. I kind of started making that mental transition. When I first got out here, it was still, well, we'll see where things go. We'll see how things happen. Um, again, I think the, the schooling kind of started leading to that transition of, you know, well, eventually this is going to be over and, um, you know, am I okay with that? What do I need to do differently if I'm not? Um, to be completely honest, so between the school, I ended up finding a girl who's now currently my wife. Um, so that transition probably helped make that a little more easy. Um, it gave me kind of a purpose outside of hockey. So those two things uh, were kind of that turning point of comfort with being able to hang them up. Um, so those were kind of those yeah, transition times. Um, it made it a little easier to process. And I still had a few years of playing ahead of me, so it was kind of a gradual, you know, are you going to be okay with this? And every season it ended, it was a little sad. But it's like, you know what? I started working a little bit more in my field. Things started settling down with the, the wife now, the girlfriend or fiance, depending on what time it was during our college time. And so those transitions made it a little easier to accept. Well, let me ask you, how did you meet her? Did you meet her through, through nursing or just uh, in, on college campus? It was college campus. Uh, she went to school for massage therapy. Um, so that was kind of her path. And we were in an anatomy and physiology course together. And uh, so we met, yep, here at college in New York. She's uh, local, and I actually am still in the Syracuse area. Um, we stayed out here after getting married. Um, my family spread out a little bit, and hers is a little more local to this general area. So stayed out here, have careers here in the Syracuse area now instead. And, yeah. Not too bad. So what, would, uh, what did you have to do to get the first date? What I actually had to offer her tea while she wasn't feeling so well. That was kind of the story behind it. It was just a, a nice warm glass of tea, brought her something to make her feel a little better. Uh, you know, the days of social media made it very simple. Uh, we were talking after class one day. We were doing some homework uh, for the class, and she just said she wasn't feeling well, so I offered to bring her some tea the next morning to class. Sure enough, I did. The next day, I think she messaged me on Facebook and told me thanks. And from there, uh, she tried to attack me with her dog. Not really. It's a good joking story. But um, her dog wasn't exactly the friendliest at that time. And she wanted to take him for a walk together. And then we ended up in the woods taking the dog on a walk. And she threw away the car keys in the woods. 
Um, She actually lost them trying to shock the dog with the shock collar. And because it was running away, no attack, but just running away. And she threw the keys in the woods, never to be found. So I had to go and meet her dad, who had to tow us home through the woods. And then I had to meet her mom, who had to take us back to college campus to get my car so we could actually go on our first date that night. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's it's a wonder you two made it made it work. Uh, I mean, especially especially when they're meeting you for the first time. It's like, what happened? It's like you, you did this with my daughter. Uh, yep. Yeah, have a nice walk, Sonny. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's like, oh, so, no, they're phenomenal people. Um, I kind of knew that day that, well, there's a little something different. She didn't panic. She didn't cry. She didn't freak out when she lost the keys. So I was kind of like, hmm, just kind of waiting for either the tears to happen or the the anger. And instead it was just, a, well, I guess I'm just going to call my dad. We'll see what he can do. Like, oh, my. Wait, she was okay. Like, that's. So it was a little uncharacteristic for some of the other uh, individuals I'd been around in my life. And I was like, okay, this one's able to handle bad things happening, and it's okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you knew you had a keeper there. Right. I had to at least give her another chance. I mean, she did throw the keys away, so it was kind of like, what's next? But no. She was testing you. had to give her a chance. She was testing you. You passed. So that's a good thing. So now, how long have the two of you been married? Uh, Two and a half years. We got married in the, uh, August of 2018. Very so. good. Very good. Now, uh, yep. I mean, uh, is she, uh, so you guys are in, around the Syracuse area. Do you ever get back home to Finley from time to time? Rarely. Um, so now my, my, I have a younger brother um, who lives in Cleveland who I'm very close with. Mm-hmm. And then my parents actually have kind of bought a second house down in Tennessee. Um, they still have one in Finley, Ohio, but not a lot of ties to come back anymore. Um, a lot of the friends growing up with have moved away for whatever reason. Um, so not as often as I'd like, um, but I'm okay with that as well. I enjoy kind of traveling to other places. It's fun to, you know, see my brother in Cleveland instead or head down to Tennessee with my parents at their other home. Finley, Ohio, not as much to do in, around there, but. Um, no, no, no comment. Anyway, right. <laughs> anyhow, so now, so you finished playing your college, your D3. Uh, what was next for you? So I actually uh, finished my third year, and that was when I graduated with my nursing degree. Um, I started working full time as a registered nurse in the state of New York at a hospital. Um, and then all of a sudden, the college added a bachelor's program in nursing, which they didn't have originally. So I had already done my senior night for my junior year. I had already graduated. I was done playing. I would hung them up. Uh, July of that year, I decided, oh, now there's a bachelor's program, which there was not before. So I decided to go right back in and uh, attempt to play one more final season. Um, meanwhile, I still worked 40 hours a week as a registered nurse. And then I was a full-time college student again. Um, so I kind of started that transition of into the real world. I started, you know, my real world working. And then I tried to play another season of college hockey, which is very difficult to do if you took a summer off and you're already 24 years old, 25 years old. Um, the body doesn't, you know, regenerate the way it did when you were 18, 19 years old. Um, so it was kind of tough to get back in the swing of things. And I didn't quite give up on the, uh, the full-time career. Now that I had a wife at that point and a full-time career, I kind of just started right into uh, 
real working world and kind of tried to hold on to another year of college hockey, which was tough to do. So how did you do in that final year? Uh, I got injured in November, Thanksgiving. I took a decent injury, and that kind of retired me instead. Wow. Um, just kind of those circumstances that go about it. Um, again, I, I didn't do anything all summer to try and keep in shape. These guys, you know, they're younger, they're faster, they're more in physical shape. So um, that final year, I think I only got in six or eight games. was having an okay season, but uh, ended up injured and kind of said, you know what, there is a, 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 that was a pushing point to say there's more to life than trying to get back on the horse and keep playing this hockey that you know, unfortunately, you're, you're going to be done with. So I kind of took that as my acceptance of, okay, time to hang them up for good. So that was kind of the last uh, serious professional, or not professional, but collegiate hockey that I kind of played. Competitive um, hockey. What's that? Competitive hockey. Competitive, yes. Yeah, exactly. So let me ask you, um, was it hard that last year when you finally realized you had to give it up? Uh, was there any, like, uh, downtime for you? There was. Um, it was harder. Uh, to be, I mean, in retrospect, it would have, I think, been easier to stay having walked away after what was my senior year, my junior season, um, to go back and feel like, oh, let's get back in this and a new group of guys together, um, and then actually kind of sit by and watch them play, knowing that I was still a part of the team but not able to be there with them or, you know, be on the ice as much with them. Um, that was actually a pretty hard thing to accept. Um, I will say once I had already walked away, I think it was going to be a little easier the next year, not having that initial, you know, experience of like, Hey, let's meet the guys. Let's get on the ice. Let's start practicing. Let's start playing games. Um, it was definitely easier the next year removed, but because I was already so close with these individuals and we'd gone through that, you know, preseason workouts and things like that. Um, the rest of that season was pretty tough to kind of sit around and watch and, and be a part of. Yeah, that's fair. Um, now, uh, you know, you've done, so you've basically, you've done it all as far as playing in hockey. Uh, you got to play college hockey. Not everyone gets to, uh, do you ever see yourself wanting to maybe someday down the road, if you have children or anything, if you want to coach? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have kind of weaseled my way into different avenues of, uh, education and coaching and things like that. Um, I would love to, you know, when the right opportunity presents, I was actually going to help out um, with a local area team last year prior to COVID taking over. Um, I had met some individuals here um, last February who uh, knew a lot of individuals, and I was actually going to start helping out with a local Syracuse team, uh, AAA kind of team. Um, and then unfortunately with COVID hitting, that kind of put a damper on those things. Um, other opportunities have presented instead for, um, now I help actually teach nursing students. Um, but you know, say a family happened down the road and I had children who were interested. I mean, I'd absolutely love to get back on the ice and coach them a little bit, or if the right opportunity presents with, you know, kids that aren't even my own, I'd love to get on and give back a little bit, uh, of the knowledge and experiences that I were, was given by the coaches I'd had. I was going to say, that's usually, that's a really, you know, well thought out answer. Uh, usually, you know, uh, especially if you have kids of your own, they're just starting. I was going to ask you, what uh, level do you have? Do you have a preference as to what level you'd prefer to coach the little guys or, uh, maybe a little older or, uh, all the way up? Um, I'd like to kind of go midway. I, I'd say, you know, that Pee Wee Bantam, um, I mean, I had huge influence from, like I said, um, 
Murphy, Torchia, Dennis Rodebush. So I I think you can kind of start to get the experience of, you know, what it actually means and that not necessarily, I'd say like Chris Corey with Baltire, he, he tried to show you that there is more to life than just hockey. As much as that guy is passionate about the sport, absolutely loves it, wants nothing more than to win. He absolutely hates losing. Um and is committed everything to kids. He still shows you, I know, every single time that we were on a, a trip, we would go and see something. We would go to a museum. We'd walk around downtown New York City. We would, because he wanted to give you more experiences in life. Um, and I always appreciated that about him and those opportunities he gave us. We'd see you us know, go around downtown Philadelphia or Boston. Um, up in Michigan, we'd go around different areas and things like that. And I... I I was able to appreciate those, and I think looking back, a lot of my teammates have since. Um, and I think that, you know, getting that feedback from them. Little kids are fun, uh, but I want to give them more than just the hockey lessons. I think the life lessons are, you know, equally or greater importance down the road. Okay. Well, you know, you talk about your, the coaches that influenced you and stuff. Who are your, like, favorite players and who are your favorite teams growing up? Uh, tough to say in the NHL. Um, I mean, it was, it was, I didn't watch as much hockey as a lot of my friends. Um, so I actually, I always did, I always had jobs. Uh, I worked my butt off, off the ice as much as I did on the ice. Um, I was a Detroit Red Wings fan through and through, always will be. Um, you know, a tattoo of it and everything. I lived in Detroit for seven or eight years in the beginning, later on moved back to that area. Um, so, you know, I grew up watching like Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg and Cronwall and Lindstrom and all those guys. And it was always fun to watch. Um, but I don't know that I ever, you know, sat there and idolized any of them. I enjoy different aspects of different players' games. Um, but I, I can't say that there was like somebody that I was always like, uh, you know, the one that I wanted to see or the points or I've never had a jersey, I don't think. I don't think I've ever really owned any hockey jerseys outside my own, which is kind of weird to say for a hockey player. Yeah, that is kind of weird. But, um, I mean, who would you say away from the ice? Who was the who were the folks that influenced you or, you know what I mean, the most as far as uh, just in life? Uh, tough to say. Um, I mean – Obviously, your coaches always have a huge, huge impact on you. Um, family members, like I said, I mean, I, I idolized my dad. He might have only played high school hockey, but a lot of things I wanted to do because he had done them. And he never really talked about them. It was other people that would run in, oh, your dad did this, or your dad was awesome with that. Or, you know, I, I'd hear the stories from other people. He never would talk about them. Um, but, you know, I always kind of wanted to do those things growing up because it was, you know, something he did and people remembered. Um and he always had other people he looked up to. And then, like I said, Chris Corey gave us life experiences beyond what I could have expected from a coach at his caliber. Um, and moving on down the road, um, like Bill Zanaboni was incredible. Same thing with the life lessons. I think he made a bigger impact on a lot of individuals' lives than uh, anybody will ever know. Um, he might not be the most well-known coach in the world, but to the players that did know him, or played for him, he'll probably be their biggest influence in life. Um, so those individuals just, you know, they make a big impact on who you become later on down the road. Okay. Well, just a couple more questions here before we wind her up. Um, number one, knowing what you know now and what you've seen now, 
what what would the current the modern day current Lane Martin say to the seventeen or eighteen year old Lane Martin? Um, it's tough to say. I love the way my life turned out. Um, I, I might tell myself to head over to Wisconsin a little sooner and enjoy the, the game a little bit more. Um, find the way to you know make the financial stuff work later on. So I again I worked my way through it very very intensely. I worked night shift most nights of the week. Um, as a, as a fast food worker, but I think that inhibited my ability to perform and spend time with, you know, my teammates, my brothers, I still keep in great contact with those individuals, but I know that I probably missed out on some memories. Um, so I would say, you know, enjoy that aspect. I, I absolutely loved my time in Wisconsin. Uh, once I got there and, um, those couple of years that I had, I, I wish I had five more of them to grow up on and learn from and things like that. Um, but I would tell myself to, you know, let the financial side work itself out down the road and enjoy your time doing what you're doing there instead. Okay. Now, um, a lot of folks listen to this from different eras and stuff. Um, what would you say, want to say to the Cherokee nation? Uh, thank you for the support. I mean, from anybody who's, you know, sent a kid there, um, families in the area, local people to the area that come and watch the games, um, root them on. I mean, it, it, thank you because that makes a huge difference in the players' lives down the road. Um, and no matter how much time they've spent there, like I said in the beginning, it, it was a welcoming community to come into. There wasn't that, you know, initiation necessarily and things like that. You walk in the locker room and you feel welcome. Um, so, you know, thanks for those kinds of experiences. Um, and it's a fun place to be for, you know, a kid growing up playing that junior hockey level. You know, yeah, and, and the thing is, too, is that, you know, it's funny. I, I, I can remember, you know, it's like I remember certain memories and stuff real well, real well. Other ones, I, people that remind me of this stuff will remind me of things doing this. And I'm like, oh, we did? And it's like, oh, okay. It's amazing the, the things that people will remember the little things. They don't have to be these big uh, uh, career-altering events on the ice. It could be just goofing off in in, uh, in the hotel room, you know, whether it was leaners or, uh, you know, practical jokes. I mean, uh, did you, did you uh, were you on the receiving end of anything like that? Or, or did oh, you? Absolutely. There's, and that's some of the best parts about junior hockey is the, the camaraderie, but the jokes and the family um, atmosphere that you do. Yes, the leaners in the hotel rooms or whatever other prank um, that you might be able to think of that has happened along the years. Um, the things on the bus when you make, you know, maybe the rookies have to sing a song or things like that to make the time go by as you travel 14 hours together on a bus ride. Um I know you've maybe done rap battles and things like that between them, and they kind of start dissing each other, and you pick on each other, but it's all in, in good family fun. And So, yeah, those memories last a long, long time, um, a lot longer, honestly, than the ones on the ice typically. So Yeah, that's true. Now, uh, were you? did you have to sing at all when you were on the bus? On the bus, no, not that I remember. I remember being in, I want to say it was Justin LeConte's house with Wysocki and Blanchard. 
Um, and we had a rap battle that night. I don't remember exactly why or how it happened. I know we were going to Ethan Martin's graduation party in Pittsburgh the next day. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think he was graduating high school and his parents were throwing a thing. So we all met up and then we were all driving out there. And I remember having rap battles down there. Um, I remember singing in restaurants if you got shoe checked. Oh, yeah. I don't know how familiar people are with that, but oh boy. Yes. That or the uh, beep, beep, I'm a Jeep uh, was the other good one. Was if you didn't feel comfortable singing, you had to push a penny or a quarter around the restaurant on the floor, hands and knees, put your nose to it, and every time that you stopped pushing it as you walked forward, you had to sit, like, basically sit up and say, beep, beep, I'm a Jeep. And then go back down and push your nose, and you had a path that you had to make it with that coin. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was another good one. I, I was the victim of that one time, so. How did you do? Yeah. How long did it take you? Did you? Were you able to push it pretty far and quickly? You learn that you just don't stop. You just keep your nose down. You get a little rug burn. It happens, but it's a lot better than looking up and saying, beep, beep, I'm a Jeep, and having people just stare at you. <laughs> um, I mean, it lasts, it feels like two, three, four minutes. I'm not sure how long it lasted, but it, it's long enough that you feel like, all right, I'm done. I'd like to just go to the bus now and be done with my day. <laughs> and that doesn't just happen to rookies. That's the best part. Is those kinds of things can happen to anybody. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think I was in a old country buffet that I had that experience. Oh my gosh, that is too funny. Now, did, did the managers or the people that worked there give you any crap, or did, were they pretty much in on the joke? Well, they always seem to tolerate it. I, it's surprising. I don't know. I don't know many other groups of individuals that have that kind of fun and, and jokes that go on in restaurants. Um, but any place that I'd ever been, nobody really interfered or said, you know, stop that. Um, I mean, I've seen plenty of hockey players standing on, on chairs or on tables to sing their songs. And uh, not often did you even have anybody come and say anything. Normally their phone would be out taking a video and laughing with everybody. Um but no, they typically were very tolerant of, of us. I guess it was, you know, relatively harmless fun. It wasn't a food fight or things of that nature, so. Not all yeah. bad. That's funny. Uh, yep. who, was, who was the, like, the king of, uh, if you can remember at all, who was the king of maybe do, uh, administering the practical jokes back when you were here? Oh, when I was in the Cherokee? Yeah. Bad stuff to say. Um... See, I would think that's something that the that like the older guys would do to you. It it definitely was, but like I said, I think I wasn't typically picked on too terribly much. Um, I don't know who was like the victim of it or who really started it. I don't, you know, it doesn't. Nobody stands out as that guy that was always the one. Kind of, I mean, yeah. No, I can't. No name stands out that says like this was the guy that was always the one. You know, starting. I know Cam Rossman used to try here and there, but mm-hmm. Cam was a pretty big guy, so you'd catch him early on. Oh yeah. He was kind of a goofy fella, so you know, I love him. Um, you know, I always remember him. He was just like a happy-go-lucky kind of guy, and um, but I don't think he ever really was able to pull off as many of the pranks very well. That's what I remember. <laughs> no, that's that's Cam. Uh, the, yeah. You know, he was on one of these uh, earlier uh, earlier podcasts and. You know, got to talk to him. Great guy to talk to, uh, you know, listening to him and him telling his story and stuff. And that's what, you know, that's why we do these. But, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a very interesting guy. He went, I guess he ended up going to Europe to play hockey, you know, after he was done here and with school and everything. And uh, he left school to go play hockey over in Europe. And now he's back over at U of M Dearborn. And, uh, okay. 
yeah, so he's uh, trying to finish up his schooling and play there, and so he's doing all right. So that's wonderful, cool. good to hear. Yep, it sure is. Now, um, as far as uh, you're concerned, as far as what the future holds for you, um, are, are you going to try and advance in terms of like management or whatnot in uh, nursing? Um, I don't know yet. To be honest, nursing is a wide uh, opportunity kind of avenue, um, especially in the world that is today. Uh, lots of opportunities. I currently do ICU level nursing um, here in Syracuse, and I will say it wears on you uh, emotionally. Um, you know, it's a different type of nursing. So we'll see how long I continue to do this, but I also love being at the bedside. Um, I love making a difference in people's lives right there. So it'd be tough to step away from bedside nursing in any capacity. Um, but time will tell. I don't know if it'll be a management. I don't know if I'll, you know, one day just decide that uh, mowing golf courses or being a rink manager sounds much, much better. I don't know what'll happen. Well, at least you're equipped. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I was going to say, you're equipped anyway. You, you can get your RNs license anywhere. You can, right. You know, I mean, I know you're married now, so travel being a travel nurse isn't necessarily something I'm sure that the missus will appreciate, but who knows, you know. But, uh, right. you know, you've got options. That's the good thing. You've got options. And, yeah. you know, so, you know, that's a that's a good thing to have. So, anyway, well, um, that's going to do it here. I mean, man. We here we are. I, you know, you were really concerned about, uh, you know, what you had to say or tell or anything, and here we are, about an hour later, and feel, you know, it was only it only felt like a few minutes, and I thought you did very, you made a good accounting there and did a great yeah. job. Well, I hope that you know somebody listening to it has you know able to take something from it, whether regardless of what it might be for for them, but hopefully you know it can help somebody down the road. And I appreciate you having me on and and just chatting and listening to stories. It's got to be fun to hear the different ones that everybody comes back to tell and what they remember. So, oh, believe me, that's you know it's like uh, I I started this originally to say thank you as a thank you to the guys because I got to get. 20 years of broadcasting hockey games and getting in, in my mind, I got to watch hockey for free. You know, that was the reason. And I wanted to be able to say thank you. And so when I retired as the, as the broadcaster for Toledo, I wanted to give back somehow. And, you know, it's like, I'm not, uh, I'm not a guy who skates. I'm not a guy who can do on ice stuff for, you know, game day stuff to, you know, show my appreciation back. So the number one thing I did was to go ahead and and try to, you know, do something with the alumni, regardless of their, how much time they had, the, and just uh, spotlight them. Because I was afforded opportunities that I never would have gotten if it weren't for my time with the Cherokee and the guys that played and being able to talk about them and, the you know, on your guys' shoulders, I was able to do stuff off of your guys' shoulders. So, you know, in my mind, I'm very grateful and appreciative, always will be. I'll never stop being grateful. And to be able to do this and spotlight the guys that did, that helped me, you know, that's, to me, that's the most important thing is, you know, I don't want you guys to be, as I've said before, I don't want you guys to be just a, a name and a number on an old hockey program. You guys had stories. You guys had lived the life already. You went through it and survived. And you've got stories to tell. You've got a voice that should be heard. 
And th I'm, I'm trying to do this to give you guys th that voice so that people don't forget, because it's easy to do when, you know, the current team is, you know, whether they're doing great or not doing great, but they're the current team. So people pay attention to that. And I, I want them to remember, you know, that these kids are still going strong because there were guys that went ahead of them and paved the way and uh, coaches as well, you know, people that, you know, impact your life. And, I, and that's why I do this stuff. So it's, you know, like I said, I'm really grateful to Elaine for taking this time to talk to us and well, Hey, I wish you well, uh, stay safe and uh, all the best to you and yours, man, as you, uh, you plow through this thing called life. Thanks for doing yeah. this. Thank you, Mick. I appreciate you having me on. Great to talk to you. And I, I can't wait to continue to listen in and hear how people do. And, you know, it's exciting. We appreciate it. Well, thank thank you. you. Thank you, Lane. Well, that's going to do it for episode 60 here of the Cherokee Rewind. Don't forget, you can download the new episodes. Just subscribe. Whatever platform you use to listen to your your podcasts, just uh, subscribe to Cherokee Rewind. And every time a new episode is dropped, it will notify you. So for Lane Martin, I am Mick. Thanks for hanging out with us, and we'll talk to you next time right here on the Cherokee Rewind.